0: I'm Nick Turzo, and you're listening to The Radical. Today, we speak with one of the most recognizable voices in rock. Coming out of the Motor City, Detroit, you can only expect gruff and no-bullshit performances. His band had three chart-topping songs in the 90s and continues to record and tour decades later. Additionally, he can be found holding down vocals in his own country band, the Orbit Suns. Sponge lead singer Vinny Dombrowski joins me today, and we discuss all things Detroit and just what makes the music of Sponge even more evergreen in the year 2021. Coming up, my chat with Vinny Dombrowski. Welcome, Vinny. All right, Nick. Good to see you. Thank you for doing this. I'm really grateful. And uh, we'll see how much we can uh, cover over <laughs> twenty years or twenty-five years here. Thanks for taking the time, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. How is uh your year been? I assume uh you you still tour frequently in a normal year? In a normal year,
1: of course. And we we just stopped touring uh March I think it was the ninth. We were on a plane back home. We're on the West Coast in twenty twenty, so we were super active, and we had a ton of um, gigs booked uh, throughout twenty twenty uh, that pretty much just got tore away from us. But we were on a plane back to Detroit on March ninth from the West Coast, and by March thirteenth, man, Michigan was just shut down, and um, you know, really, it's been it's loosened up a bit here, but um, you know, we've been dealing with booking the shows and then rescheduling and pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. So we do have some things that we're doing here soon. But, um, you know, like most any musician, we've had just a ton
0: of dates torn away from us because of all this. Right. And I think that a routing of these things must be just a pain in the neck. Cause I know everyone was trying to do that in 2020, right? Well, we'll go six months out and see if we can route something. And yeah, which, um, it just kept having to be re <laughs> jiggered. Yep,
1: so. yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, my agent's done a great job at trying to figure some stuff out, but you know, it's just like, I think we all understand the, the, the kind of, um, uh, the long haul with it and, uh, the, the challenges. So, we're just we're hopeful, but uh, you know this year might be a little
0: slim picking, too. So, yeah, unfortunately. So the band, I mean, does the current band? What is the lineup of the current band? It's it's are there original guys in there with you? Is it you with new guys? There's been some iterations. What's the current iteration of Sponge? Um, the current lineup has been
1: pretty solid since two thousand three, and fortunately, um, Tim Padlin, who produced a number of records with us Uh, he's been out on the road with us playing bass his brother andy who has done just a ton of like production with the band and recording with the band he's been playing guitar with us since 2003 and uh kyle neely on guitar has been with us since 2003 because the last original member joe mazola he was with the band until about 2003 he left the band in 03 to go play with uh, the the detroit cobras uh, play guitar. I think he was playing bass too. So, um, yeah, but since then it's been pretty rock solid. Mm.
0: What's your creative life like? I mean, are you focused a hundred percent on sponge or do you do a bunch of things on your own side things? Mm.
1: That, I, I think a lot of people are doing a lot of different things. Recording wise, I've been pretty fortunate to, um, have different projects come uh, come my way like uh like we just finished up a sponge record so that's going to be released on cleopatra records um and that was planned before the pandemic so that record was made that record was delivered the release date we don't know however um i got together with um a, a fellow by the name of drew fortier who uh play guitar with bang tango he hit me up like on an email he was like you know are you interested in singing on a song and then he sends another email he goes that ah, sounds too much like one of your songs that you recorded in a wax ecstatic so for you know maybe we'll forget about it and i'm like well i hit him back i'm like what do you got just send me the music so he sends me the music and i started writing to it right away and come to find out it was drew and then dave Allison from um megadeth And Mike Hallett, the drummer from Fear Factory, they sent me probably 30 songs over the summer and we carved out a record. That record's done. So, you know, we're trying to find a home for it, you know, but I go, that's kind of cool, but we can't really tour right now. So it's like you release a record, but how do you promote a record? So, and then I got the guys from ICP calling me up. uh, 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 Violent J has been hitting me up to do some... uh, singing with the uh, icp
0: and the country stuff
1: so there's a lot of writing and recording going on just no live playing
0: mm. what's the name of the project then with uh that allison's with, with you what's that called it's called, called Did you finished the record it's called what's it called lucid
1: lucid lucid yeah and you know we're peddling around uh four tracks right now i mean just dynamite it turned out so well you know and, and uh, the mixes are just killers. so you know that thing could really have some legs on it at some
0: point so nice and that was all I assume recorded remotely or did you guys manage to get it done in person before well you know uh, I did a lot of vocals here at the
1: house and then um, I went out to LA well Dave was doing his bass and they were um, we kind of that's the first time we met in July you know went out to LA in July and that that was weird to be in a place like LA and everything shut down but I've never experienced that before but um, yeah went out there in July to sit with everybody and watch
0: Dave do his bass parts and it was cool wow yeah, he's not much of a player is he <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's just
1: incredible. And it's all business, man. You know what I mean? He's rock solid, knocks it out. And the the, the drumming is just, you know, the whole group, the musically is just fantastic. So,
0: well, that's great. Congrats. Thank you. That's a good one. I look forward to hearing it. So, and I look forward to hearing the new Sponge record. So, that's cool too, man. It's very, yeah. Yeah, so you know when you were signed, like those early days of Detroit, you know, many years back. I don't, you know, want to go through a total timeline here of your life. This isn't, this is your life. Um, what was Detroit like then? What was the music scene like, like in the early '90s? And I mean, was it special? I mean, were there a lot of artists being signed by major labels? Kind of, what was the environment then? Well, there
1: weren't a lot of bands being signed out of Detroit in the uh in the early 90s when i think about detroit the late 80s early 90s uh st andrews hall and a lot of the, the, the great groups that would come through st andrews hall and and the radio environment a, a, as well you know there, there was this new thing at the time called alternative rock and up until then it was all like rock stations like the riff and LLZ, and they were playing you know zeppelin and they were playing acdc but there was all this new stuff bubbling around like Band called uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Jane's Addiction, right? Who knew about them back then, right? Because you listen to Bad Brains and Helmet and Fugazi, and all of a sudden, all this new stuff is happening, you're like, ooh. This stuff is exciting man this is this is great. and certainly the radio formats began to change in Detroit as well. you know the alternative station played for eight hours a day and then suddenly it was a 24 hour station. And this new format, alternative rock, which we fell into back then with Sponge, uh, just we all just kind of like you know rode that huge wave at that time. So it was exciting because in Detroit there were a lot of clubs. they let you play your own music. And you could just go and write songs, play clubs, record, write songs, play clubs, record. And it was a perfect environment for that.
0: Right. And there were quite a few, I mean, studios up there, weren't there like actually. Oh, oh recording yeah. Studios.
1: Yeah. 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 We recorded our first album. Uh, we started on our own dime out at the loft, which is Tim Padlin's studio. And, uh, we were out there recording, um, yeah. You know, from, for, for a while before uh, the label even got, uh, got involved with us. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool, you know, to have the freedom and then to have the later on the, the
0: help, you know, so. Right. And I mean, were you involved with, um, oh what's his name? The guy had the Bass brothers. What's his name? Is it Joel? Joel? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. He was involved at some point I and mean, had a recording studio there and all that too. Sure. we, we, had a band
1: called Loud House, which was uh, right before Sponge. I was drumming at the time. And we went and visited Joel one day out uh, at his studio. And Joel had like a production company and access to management. And um, we just started recording and then paddling around these recordings. So, you know, and of course, Joel, you know, people know him From Eminem, the Bass Brothers, uh, a lot happened in in this unassuming place in a suburb of Detroit, you know. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Slightly. He's still there, man. And this guy is a guy who literally he's the reason why the Beatles and, um, you know, Seeger they're on iTunes, man, because it changed the whole climate of what people would talk about. What What is a license and how does a band or an artist participate in that portion of a license as opposed to a standard royalty for a single? So Joel changed all of that, you know, and, you know, Joel and I over the years have been at odds with each other. And he's no person that, that you want to be on the other side of the table, you know, looking at him and his lawyer. But, you know, um, It's all good with Joel and I these days, though.
0: That's great. No, and you definitely touched upon, you know, kind of his legacy, man. He just is an artist advocate or whatever. His interests were attached. Um, He kind of redefined... making sure everyone got paid. And so with, with, with without, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, it's, that was my
1: college education, man. You know, it's not like I went to high school and went to college. It's basically, you know, if you want to pay attention in this business a little bit, you can learn a whole lot, you know, and hopefully not the, the real, real hard way.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So here we are in 2020, you know, I kind of, um, you know, the singles you had at the Columbia days, I guess, um, what were the highest charting? I mean, were you in the fifties? Is that how the singles kind of charted or not? Back. Oh, well, I
1: can remember like cloud, I think was, um, like five on the modern rock chart. Molly as well. Um, yes. you know, wax ecstatic, not so much. I think Mary did very well on a rock chart, you know, um, they they worked their asses off at radio. I think Rocky Del Balzo. I'm, I, God
0: bless him. Remember Rocky? Oh, I love Rocky.
1: so yeah, I mean he worked his ass off. Especially, I mean, I remember on Mary just crushing it. You know, so that was very uh, you know valuable to us. The hard work, man, the, the kicking ass. So you know, and of course all the hard work that folks did at the you know work and um, work records with the the first two. Singles that really people know about. I think the first single was Nina Minasho that went to radio, but Ploughed and Molly, yeah, they you know, kicked ass for
0: that. Yeah. You know, what surprises me is, and I guess I'm not surprised and I'm trying to say this respectfully, but you know, Ploughed in that environment of that time period was a really good song, right? And there were a ton of really good songs, right? So it kind of all kind of got caught in the mix. But now in 2020, when you hear Ploughed, <laughs> It's elevated. It's a different level. Of that song is way better than I think a lot of us thought it was back in the '90s, and I'm not, I'm saying this with respect. Uh, I mean, complete respect. Understood. I. I... I I agree with you. The Lance, I
1: just, I'm in awe. Like, I I don't know what, when it happened. Maybe it was like when we started doing the, let's do the 20th anniversary of the release of Roddy and Pinata. We were listening to a lot of music from the 90s. And I go, oh my God. It's the first time I had looked back. And I go, and I'm sure people from the 70s say, what a great time that was. Although I have enormous reverence for music from the 70s and the 60s, the 80s, there's all kinds of great music. I'm not saying just because it was art music, but I just go, the 90s were just incredible, man. You know what I mean? It's just the bands that you'd play with and um, the quality of different kind of music, whether it was like the Pixies or Alice in Chains, you just go, to this day. You know what I mean? I can listen to the Pixies and just go, why is that so great? Or Alice in Chains, you sit there and go, that's just insanely good. So, Cloud being in that mix, you go... Yeah, yeah, it's one of those tunes that just cut right to the chase. It's a good rock song. But over the years, it's become one of these songs that uh, I think it's like it's just in the landscape of what people think about the 90s now. And it's just endured. And we're very fortunate for that, you know. And it's out of my hands. You know, I just go, well, there it is, you know.
0: (laughs) But isn't it remarkable when you look at the lyrics? Here we are in 2021. After the year we just had, and those lyrics are so prescient. I mean, it was like, wait a minute, this song is perfect for 2020. I mean, listen to these lyrics. I mean, it's incredible. It's just so timely. Well, you know, I would do a podcast. Uh, you
1: know, a podcast, but a live stream, and I've changed the lyrics. You know, to say a prayer for us in a world of human wreckage and a world of financial wreckage. You know, and it's it. I'm not patronizing. I, I I mean, I really, I mean it, man. You know, it's just like there's so much out there that people have been so affected by, so hurt by, so life changed by, and um, I, I, I change the lyrics, man. I'll do it at the gigs, too, because it's not just say a prayer for me anymore. Say a prayer for us. And it doesn't sing as well as me, but uh, the word us certainly applies
0: better. Yeah, but I just think, oh, man, boy, does this song encapsulate <laughs> 2020 um, for good or worse or bad or good. Um, but dude, when you hear that guitar part, that opening, it just, man, it just puts you in a place, man. It's so incredible now to me. I'm sorry. I'm being so incredulous with you about it, but I mean, you see a song that like maybe was like a really good song in the nineties, really great song. And now it's like evergreen. It's like a classic. <laughs> And it's just fascinating to watch that progression or what draws more people into it. It's, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by it. Oh my God.
1: That guitar riff is like the, it's the rally cry. You know what I mean? When that riff goes off, it's like, let's go, man. You know what I mean? And and I think whether you're in your car, whether it's at the gig, that riff is, it's an iconic riff, man. It certainly is. Rock songs need
0: iconic. (laughs) Bringing it back, bringing it back. Come on, let's bring it back. Yeah. Well, Stern is certainly in love with the whole thing, right? I mean, have you played his show or not? Have you? I mean, I saw the Goo Goo Dells in a cover of it. Why didn't they have you sing it? I don't understand.
1: Howard, you know, he, he had this great idea because he's such a 90s music fan that uh, he would invite bands to the show to perform one of their big tunes. And then you needed to pick from a, you know, he had a great list of songs and I was I was told you got to promise not to say what's on the list. So I'm like, okay, gag yeah, order, no problem. But uh we would pick a song from, you know, a band that we wanted to cover, you know. So yeah, you know, we did uh Stone Temple Pilots and uh Plowed, and then uh, yeah, Johnny uh, Goo sang uh sang Plowed, man. Was, and he ran into my guitar player. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh man, did I do a good enough job? Did I sound okay?" <laughs> <laughs> I
0: forget where they were Nam or something like that. That's funny shit. That is that is really funny. So, um, so did Sponge always stay like intact as a band? I mean, I know you had um, like in the early two thousands. I mean, you kind of did like a side, kind of a project with a couple of my guys in Alice, right? And my friend Chris DeGarmo, who I love. Um, that was called what was that called? Spies for Darwin. Is that it? Spies for Darwin. Yeah. And how did how did that come about? How did that coalesce and what came of it? Well, I, I, I recall
1: was it Inez? He may have sent me a CD with some songs on it that the that, that Garmo and, and Mike and, and Sean were working on and it was that same kind of thing. Like with Lucid, you know, they send me some things, some demos and um, I would sing um, write lyrics melodies and stuff like that and ship ship them back you know, the, the demo. And then eventually, you know, we get together and I record the vocals out in in Seattle, but um, you know, I'm I'm sure Susan had um, made some suggestion at some point, maybe for the guys to contact me somewhere, you know? Mm.
0: And did you guys actually, I mean, was that released? Did you guys try to get a recording deal with it or what came with it? The fellas released it. It was like a self-release. And um, I, I think, Seven songs on it, so it wasn't a full album. Curious, did it get any radio play? I mean, did anyone pick up on it, or did it never kind of get above the radar too much? I don't think it got uh, much radio, if any. Maybe a few
1: spins. Now that I think about it, but yeah, th- it was uh, just uh, not uh, not exposed.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you find it? I mean, is it like on YouTube or anything, or uh, does it exist? Somewhere? Yeah, I
1: think you get it on YouTube, Spies for Darwin, or perhaps on Amazon. There may be some
0: albums, yeah, or EPs. Interesting. And have you guys, um, what's kind of coming up for the band? I mean, have you been involved in this live streaming world? Have you kind of stuck a toe in that to see what that's like for you? Yeah, just touching the surface of that right now, uh, we have
1: a live stream that we're recording in Vegas, March 20th, and it'll be broadcast on the 27th. And um, with a crew of folks, production-wise, it really knit the whole all the different segments together. Very nice. And we'll do like a a VIP question and answer as well as uh, have merch for that. But um, we've kind of just not done the live stream thing. This is our first opportunity. So we're, we're thinking it's going to go off pretty good.
0: And what platform is that available? What, where will that be?
1: Uh, You know, it's on our Facebook, the link, there's tickets and, you know, I know very little other than I'm going to sing and I'm going to do a bunch of Facebook live to promote the thing, so you know I'm helping out in that way so
0: there you go, good man, good man. so let me ask you, I mean here you are kind of maybe coming into your i don't know we're all kind of getting into our last chapters in a weird way, not to sound maudlin, um, but you've been a creative guy now for thirty years, plus how do you maintain that? I mean, what's your practice um? Are you kind of, I always get this impression from you, you're kind of like, ah, eh, I'll, I'll take it as it come kind of guy. Or Are you kind of more proactive with your creativity than that? And how do you stay on it? What what keeps you engaged? Your love of music, is it the same today as it was 30 years ago? Oh, m- more
1: so. The love, it's the writing thing. Um, I, I have enormous respect for anybody that has discipline to write every day. A lot of folks that write for a living, they kind of do that thing. I wish I could say I was that dedicated, everyday writing, but I'm constantly changing my day if a great idea comes along. And then I follow up on that because I've had this country band for 20 years. I have an enormous love for country music. And I've been able to take that band and go out and play just tons of gigs, play live, tour with that thing. You know, I got another side project that I've wrote a whole nother record. I'm I'm just doing final mixes for, and it's, you know, just great fun to be involved in that style of writing, that style of music. And I just love to go out and play the gigs. It's just truly a blast to go out there in front of a completely different audience and play songs that immediately people are going to be knocked out by you know and, and and it's just a completely new world well, i mean i've been doing it for 20 years but I, I go it's it's just a such a fun world to be in and uh i'm i'm constantly engaged in in that as well so the writing thing is very important to me music writing you know it's all the same thing yeah it is what's the
0: name of that band
1: the country band well i have a band called the orbitsons and uh that band's been together for 20 years and the latest side project that i've second record i'm finishing up right now it's it's something called diamond buck and uh it's kind of just some crazy ass um uh, especially more so this record shell silverstein kind of songs and and you know i, I just love shell I, I i just i i love what he's done over the years and i, I love um chris christopher uh, obviously and and some of the more humorous songs he's done so i kind of fall into that thing and i just get such a kick
0: out of writing that kind of stuff right and the the country stuff is that all original i mean some of that covers or is it all original no I, I was always bad at doing covers i stunk
1: at doing covers i know covers are so important these days for groups but i just uh i stick to kind of where i feel i can contribute more which is like i you know i just write and i get a kick out of the writing thing so
0: that's awesome. Is there a crossover between your audiences with that band, or is that just a completely different audience? Oh, well, it can, some people
1: just hate the rock thing. So it can be a, a real strict country audience. And then, you know, it, and it does crossover because it's been cool over the years. Detroit has been known for these breakout country people like Whitey Morgan, the Dead String Brothers were just doing a great thing for a while. But Whitey, has been out there you know he's on that level with like cody jenks and people like that and um you know maybe even jamie johnson you know like whitey we've done shows with him over the years you know when you put up that chicken wire in front of the stage and people he bottles at you well, we would do that at the machine shop in Flint, you know, and, and we did one of those gigs out there and always wanted to do more. And my wife said to me, she goes, why do you want to do more of those gigs? I go, I love it. It's just a blast, you know, and she's like, you can get hepatitis C, man, from somebody drinking a beer and throwing it at the thing. And I go, ah, I didn't never thought of that. So I kind of shut that down. But there's
0: just such a fun world, man. So there's like a modern dance hall world out there still where like oh, people people. show up and throw things
1: dance. I mean, we would also do beer festivals, you know, and we got such a strong craft beer scene here in Michigan. We've done, I mean, we've worked with the brewers for 15 years, man, at least. And that group of people, people that love beer, love this kind of music. And we just have a killer time.
0: Hilarious. I love that. Yeah. Do you come down to Nashville and play?
1: You know what? I haven't been out to Nashville and play, but you know, years ago, it's funny. Jerry Cantrell came out here for the Super Bowl, man, and and um, he saw one of these Orbison shows, man. We it was the year the Super Bowl was playing. Orbisons were in this huge tent in downtown Detroit, man. He's looking at me, going, "What?" He stands side, said, "What?"
0: He's an Oklahoma boy. He likes that stuff. Oh, man. So. I
1: tried to get him hooked up with Shooter Jennings a couple of years ago. Shooter came to town, man. And and I know Jerry's done his own thing for years. Uh, you know, back in the day with some of the records he released by himself. And and I thought they were just killer. But, I thought, man, to get Shooter Jennings and Jerry Cantrell together would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that'd be really interesting, actually. So the Shooter's had quite a nice uh, ride. You know, I met that kid in the 90s in L.A. And, boy, what a career. Oh, talented talented yes without, without
1: a doubt man one of the just few super talented individuals on
0: this planet good dude too yeah he needs to get on this show if he knows what's good for him so uh, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> so what other like through the years i mean you mentioned the country thing is kind of a good way to kind of segue who are like your big influences growing up i mean you must have you know you seem to have a wide variety so who are some of the guys girls uh, that mattered to you growing up and influenced you becoming an artist? You know,
1: without a doubt, uh, David Bowie, um, you know, Bowie just seemed to kill it on all levels, but then, um, Iggy Pop, um, Psychedelic Furs, Velvet Underground, um, Alice Cooper, the band Fear, um, sex pistols the clash you know it's just the, the stuff just makes me smile you know i just go what, what great music you know and of course i could go on and on but you know at the courts typically you know that kind of that kind of thing and then hank williams unfortunately was uh probably my biggest hero and, and influence fortunately unfortunately
0: <laughs> <laughs> i won't go near it then so uh but it's funny you picked fear in that. That's a great one. Fear. I remember. I just remember it being like you know, Belushi was so into that band, right? He was kind of like a groupie for that band.
1: Yeah, man. And I know it's not so politically correct, man. But leaving is, uh, you know, just his vocal talent and the uh, the topics of uh, you know the songs. That I thought were always very interesting. I mean, musically, I thought they were just a killer band. You know, I mean, forget, you know, uh, th- those guys could really play their shit, you know, and I just like, man, fantastic. And I thought leaving was just a fantastic singer. And uh, it was certainly punk rock. And that stuff makes me smile. Did you ever get to see him? Live? Oh, God, no, I wish, man. You know, I just, yeah. I used to work in a restaurant back in the 70s. And the, one of the cooks came in with a cassette tape. Fear. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we were back in the kitchen cooking, man. That's where I first got hip to it, man. And then all of a sudden, I'm on the road with bands with the same stupid boombox that I had and that fear cassette, you know, and the guys would get so sick of me fucking playing fear. You know, you know, they're they they want they're listening to Def Leppard or something by then, and I'm still listening to fear. I go, God, I can't take this Def Leppard thing. And I've done gigs with Def Leppard, and I think they're just a fantastically a fantastic talented band but i just go at the end of the day man at fear record
0: you know put fear on That's awesome fear i love it so um and sometime you know when i kind of named the show the radical and i always like to ask people was you know what was a radical moment for you like i don't you know in life or career wise that kind of could have gone either way um Hopefully, it went the right way for you. I mean, is there one or two you can share that, you know, as an artist that, um, held you back or kind of got you there? Oh,
1: well, certainly. I, you know, I, I think that uh, over the years, I, I, I look at a couple of different situations, um, you know, even before I was involved in a successful band, but yet being involved in, um, the music scene in in the detroit area in the 80s and i don't know how this came up i was talking to my wife about it the other night but i think because my daughter was talking about kids at school talking about glamorizing drugs you know and um we had talked about that for a little bit and i i really didn't get into any history with my daughter because i i don't i'm not sure she'd understand too much at this point but um my wife asked me a little bit more about that, but we were immersed in, you know, the the crack cocaine thing in, in Detroit back in the 80s because the neighborhood had changed, you know. One minute you're... you The neighborhood that you grew up in and the places that you would go, the bowling alley, you know, fast forward a couple of years, the neighborhood's destroyed and you're buying drugs in the place you used to hang out in, you know what I mean? So me hanging out with guys that I was hanging out with, you know, I finally hit... Like, I hit a bottom, man, you know. It's like... I was in this just rotten, dilapidated basement of a house, you know, doing drugs. I couldn't get any higher, you know what I mean? And it was like an epiphany. Something came over me. I go, this ain't right. This, you know, I'm here with these guys doing this stuff. And I go, this ain't cool. And again, I could, I could you get to a point with this. If you just smoke, it. you can't get any higher. And I just, I, I extracted myself from that situation, you know, and, and those people got back on track and started doing better things musically, you know, and this was in the mid 80s, that kind of thing, you know. And I think from that point on, that decision was a good decision, you know, and being out on the road with Sponge in in, in the 90s, you know, um, you know I was goofing around with stuff then and having left a tour, we were out there um with um soundguard in europe and um i i made the um unfortunate decision about leaving the the tour back in the 90s you know i'm not whining about it but i think it's certainly something i've been paying for ever since you know i feel bad about having left that tour um certainly um, sorry for causing so much trouble to my band and uh all the people that work their asses off for the group, but you know, doing something like that, um, I, I, I certainly think that um, you know. Again, I've been uh, on a different tra- trajectory ever since that that odd decision. So I made some good decisions, and I made some kind of dumbass, selfish decisions mm-hmm.
0: as well. So, yeah. It's like, was that decision more you trying to save yourself? I mean, were you on some destructive path and you said, if I continue doing this, I'm not going to be alive. Or were you saying, uh, what was it? I mean, what triggered that decision on that tour?
1: It's, it's a good point. You know, it's like maybe that self-preservation thing, you're, you're extracting yourself from a situation, you know, and, um, I think there's a certain level of self preservation but i think at that point you know maybe i'm thinking about just blowing everything up you know what i mean i'm just going i'm I'm done i don't know how long i'm done but i'm done for now you know so I, yeah it's it's nick i think it's kind of complicated when i look at it for me it was at that point am i saving myself or i'm just tearing shit down you know i've never really thought about it that heavy but maybe it deserves a little bit of um uh investigating on my part to maybe maybe figure that out but you know i've had a i've had a career since but um you know it really i think put us on a a different trajectory
0: right well and i think look touring on its own right without substances or whatever distractions come with it um just touring is a grind and i mean i think even if you were completely sober as an artist i mean touring sometimes can just wear the hell out of you physically um, where you could kind of come to that conclusion. You know what I mean? It didn't have to be about drug abuse or whatever, you know what I mean? Or whatever was going on out on the road. It can just be simply exhaustion because of the grind of when you're at the top of your game like that and what's asked of you. Yeah,
1: yeah, certainly. It certainly can be a grind. You know, when I look at it now and I look back, I go, I, you're making, I was making decisions out there. There were a lot of selfish decisions, you know, although in the name of rock and roll, you go, well, this is just rock and roll, you know, but you go, when you finally get away from rock and roll for a minute, and you're not kind of feeding that rock and roll thing, you go, and this has taken me years to see, perhaps I just go, yeah, it's kind of, there's some selfishness in it. You know, it's like you do stuff, you're full on. And sometimes you don't see, what the outcome of your decisions is going to be or the consequences. So I just go, eh, you know, it is what it is, man. You know what I mean? I'm alive here today to, to talk about it, which, which is fantastic. I got, uh, I shouldn't have any regrets about it, but uh, regrets. I have a few like the song sets.
0: <laughs> Do you think sometimes being in a position as the lead singer of a band gives you like more power? I mean, to kind of like be a wrecking ball. Um <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone talks about bands operating kind of as democracies, right? But ultimately, sometimes the front man has a little bit more uh, (laughs) of a hammer. I'll tell
1: you what, man. It's like uh, back then, it's like if there were any questions about anything going on out on the road, at the end of the day, it would fall in my lap, you know, and I'd make a decision about it. And, and, you know, that's the way it would go. So democracy to a certain point, man. But when it would come in my lap all the time, I go, hmm. You know that's that's kind of a it's a it's a tough place to be you know and again when i look back look i look at hank williams as as an example you think hank williams sat down and had an an incredible knowledge of music you know hank williams had his influences and he had a just an, an enormous talent but when it comes down to it i think hank williams lived man he lived his life and i don't know if he had many apologies but you live your life and you write about things. And that's where I come from, man. I'm not the smartest book guy. I'm not the smartest music guy. But I just go, I'm gonna live my life, man. And and I'm gonna write about it. And I'm not looking for crap to write about. I'm just living my life. You know, the best I can. And damn it, I'm gonna goof up, man. I have goofed up, but I just go,
0: boom, you know. You're a survivor, you're here, you're a dad, you're a family man now. It's all good. It it worked out. Um what do you hope going forward? I mean, what would like the next 10 years for you be as a kind of as an artist? um, What would you like to, I mean, I hate to project that far out, but I'm just curious to find what passion you have, like what'll get you to the next marker as an artist, um, how you'd like to be perceived um, those things.
1: I'm on a Willie Nelson trip cousin. I I really, I just want to play music. Uh, and get out there and do gigs as much as I can until I can't anymore. And that's it. I got no, I got no retirement plan. I think we will be out there playing gigs again. And um, that, that's
0: all I got, you know, and I'll have a great, great, great time doing it. Right. And what's your tolerance um, at this point in your life for doing that? I mean, can you go out and do like a uh, hundred dates a year? I'm good. That works still for me.
1: You know, I'm fine with that or, or, or more, you know, my, my youngest son, he's 11. So in another eight years, I told my wife, I go, <laughs> I go, this is the music. This is the retirement plan. This is the music. We'll go get an RV and we won't look back. That's it. Give it about eight, nine years.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> totally awesome. So I always like to ask, is there anything new that's great uh, that you're listening to that you're really are digging right now? Other, other than your own projects. I, I I just keep on defaulting to um,
1: you know Tanya Tucker or Tanya Tucker put out a record with uh, Shooter Jennings and uh, Brandy Carlisle. Brandy Carlisle, yeah. I That record, man. I, I just go wow, uh, you know, what that song "Bringing My Flowers." Bringing my flowers now. Whatever. Uh, I just think it's a wonderful record and great writing, you know. And um, I, I enjoy that. I, I keep on defaulting to roommate. Um, to, Billy Don Burns, uh, country artist. Uh, he's had Tanya Tucker on his records before. I've done shows with Billy Don Burns as well, and uh, I, I just think he's a wonderful writer. And so, roommate, it's a roommate. Uh, I did with Shooter? It's about uh, oh, it's the room that um, Graham Parsons died in. And so I keep and I talked to Billy Don Burns about that record once. He goes, he goes. He goes, I haven't listened to that record. I can't because of the way we record it, because I recorded it in that room. And um, I keep just defaulting uh, to that particular record, you know. So I don't know. When I get awesome. that, I'll start listening to something else.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. So um, being that I'm in Nashville, I'm happy to see some, you know, the Nashville things really relevant to you. Um <sighs> Some of that hits deep to the bone, man. Jamie
1: Johnson can't cash my check. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, listen, I really appreciate you making time for me today. Um, long overdue to see your face, anyway, and have a little chat. Um, and I wish you luck on all these projects. And when they're ready to go, you know, you can always come back here. And uh, you know, the only thing I hate about this podcasts is i can't really play music right because there's no way to get licensed and you'll get all these takedown notices sure, and, man. So, i mean i wish i could preview new music on here it'd be awesome yeah so yeah. yeah. it's hard just to sit here and talk about it Understood. Um, yeah understood great uh, to talk to you nick i'll be down yeah it's been really a long time and i'm uh it's lovely to see your smile so um And I wish you uh, much health in the coming year. The live stream's coming up. We'll link to that um, on the website and all that uh, before it comes out. And uh, wishing you a healthy uh, 2021 to you and your family. Great back at you, Nick. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening this week. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. The Radicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week.